I thought I'd heard every chance that was usually belted out at a football ground on the terraces. They're all, they all kind of blend together mm. after a while. Who yeah. are you? You're getting sacked in the morning. That's how your cat feels. No, that one was new. That one, right. that one took me off guard. But uh, <laughs> the Watford fans uh, condemning or perhaps making light of uh, the video that emerged of West Ham defender Kurt Zuma uh, engaging in straight up just animal abuse uh, of his pet cat. Uh, West Ham said they were dealing with the matter internally and then turned around and started Kurt Zuma in the next game. So I'm sure he's really feeling the brunt of that internal club punishment at this point. Uh, but West Ham fans clearly waiting for an incident. Uh, as soon as somebody went straight through Kurt Zerma, that's how your cat feels belted across the terrace, which is, I mean, good banter at the very least. Yeah, and uh, you rightly point out the fact that, you know, even David Moyes has come out and talked about what an animal lover he is and how disgusted he is by the behaviour, how much he disagrees very noble of you, David. would like to distance myself from Kurt Zuma, but also can you play centre-back for yes. us next match, Kurt? Thanks. Y- yes, and that was the essence of David Moyes' commentary, wasn't it? It was a kind of, we wholly disagree with this, we absolutely condemn it, but also I need to win games of football as manager of West Ham United, and so in that case, my, my tolerance for animal cruelty is relevant to my, or relative rather, to yep. my need to win football games, which, you know... We all Is make, surprising? Uh, you know, moral relativist decisions in yeah. our day-to-day lives. And uh, David Moyes decided that, <laughs> you know, uh, Kurt Zuma playing centre-half was more important than all the little pussycats around the world. So, But uh, this is actually quite serious, not only because of what Kurt Zuma did, but also because, one, I think it's going to end up with, and we're already seeing some pressure from West Ham sponsors to actually cut mm. the guy. Or they're re- I've seen a few brands associated with West Ham saying they're uh, reviewing their partnership with the club, which so potentially affects the bottom line. From and it's obviously a PR disaster. But for Zuma in particular, I don't think this is the kind of thing that gets easily forgotten. I don't think this is the kind of thing where we move on to next week's headline and no one talks about it again. I think this will follow him around every football ground for the rest of his playing career in England. I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I don't think that we're going to be thinking of Kurt Zuma without this in the back of our minds at any point. And, that, and I, I guess the counter to that is the fact that footballers kind of carry around all sorts of baggage all the time that we kind of just sweep under the rug or we kind of mm. look over in, in all sorts of instances. And that's the unfortunate reality of modern professional sport, isn't it, really, that... that this kind of thing does feel like it happens regularly. And even if there's an immediate response, which in this case there kind of was, but also not really because he played the next game. So it's kind of, it, it it would be consistent with the pattern of how we treat professional footballers then if they were to just kind of, will keep moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I'm not talking about it. I mean, you know, I, I think fans look, overlook all sorts of things, but it, when it's presented as plainly and as black as white as, you know, uh, harming a helpless, defenseless animal. That's hard to forget and hard to move past. Uh, but we're going to do just that because we're <laughs> going to preview the Premier League fixtures uh, because I, I don't want to talk about that video any longer. Uh, tomorrow morning coming up, uh, Norwich City versus Crystal Palace, Tottenham versus Southampton and Man City taking on Brentford. Which one of those will you be watching, Oscar, if you've got a pick? I think uh, the Villa-Leeds game is also tomorrow. Oh, Aston Villa-Leeds as well. My mistake. At 7am. Kicking off 15 minutes later. So you can catch 15 minutes yeah. 
of Man City Brentford and then flick on over to I think probably the picture of the fixtures is Aston Villa Leeds for mine. That certainly looks like an appealing one, doesn't it? Because mm. of course Villa have done I mean they've been a, a team of real interest in the last couple of weeks because of the transfer business that they've done. So they've got a really interesting team. They're playing really interesting football, um, which is getting good results. And Leeds, meanwhile, are a team who may be less active in the transfer market, but they've kind of pulled themselves together and look like they're mm. getting some of their results again. So, yeah, I, th- I think the Villa-Leeds game will be really interesting. I think Spurs-Southampton as well is probably the other most interesting contest in the sense of co- the the observation of how Conte's style is progressing and whether we see the likes of Kulisevsky mm. feature more prominently and, and how, how that works in, in a Premier League context against the Southampton team who kind of consistently provide relatively entertaining games. Yeah. Well, so I think that there are a couple of really interesting games. Well, that's the thing with Tottenham and their transfer business. They've ousted the uh, the soft Spaniards. Mm. Brian Hill, off yeah. you go on loan. Uh, uh, the South Americans, uh, they've gotten rid of the Celso yeah. and, of course, uh, the enfant terrible that is uh, Tangi and Dombele. Yeah. I'm really sad about that. I really wanted him to do well, and uh, I guess he was never really a, an Antonio Conte player. No. Bringing in Rodrigo Bentancur and Dejan Kulisevsky from Juventus, Fabio Paratici uh, working his connections to good effect there. Uh, how do you think uh, they'll shape up in uh, uh, with the inclusion of those players, and do you think they'll be a success? Well, just to say that Southampton, I think, are a kind of really... Like, they're a great litmus test in lots of ways mm. for what you kind of... Because the good teams can obviously beat Southampton, but they provide a really good test and they kind of... They're a real up-and-atom kind of yeah. uh, high-pressing unit. They provide that kind of intensity. It's a that, rigorous examination of your of kind of how's your touch and how's your physicality when it comes to the Premier League. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, th- I think that's that sums it up really accurately. And so in that sense, you know, we'll see what... Kulisevsky mm. and Bentancura kind of, are, are you up for this? Are you made for it kind of thing? And and I, I'd i be surprised if they weren't. I, I think particularly Kulisevsky, I think he kind of would function quite well in terms of he, he's quite happy to be physical and direct and, and those kinds of yeah. things. So I, I, I'd imagine that that he's, would... He's quite a big body. He's, he's yeah. kind of got a dainty set of technical skills, mm. but uh, in quite imposing package, I suppose. And Bentancur... I, I really rated him at the start of his Juve career when he burst onto the scene, but I, I just don't think he's kicked on particularly. But he's one of those kind of, I guess, tempo-controlling defensive midfield players who's just an anchor and just provides stability. Not particularly exciting to watch, but he's got 50 caps for Uruguay. So, yeah. you know, they don't you know they don't breed him soft in Uruguay. I'd be surprised <laughs> if, he, uh, yeah. if he struggled. No, that's right. And obviously throw in the fact that it's with a manager like Antonio Conte and and he, you know, we know mm. lots of instances where he can get the best out of these kinds of players and, and have them adapt to an effective system and build on their weaknesses kinds of things. So that they, I'd, I'd be surprised to see them not come out more well-rounded players from the Antonio Conte experience um, and, the, you know, see them, imp- if, the, if there is something to be concerned about with these players, kind of see them build on that. So that'll, that'll be... That'll be interesting to see, I think, particularly in the context of a Spurs team that generally seem to be working themselves out a bit better. We're seeing Harry Kane contribute a bit more regularly and consistently, and that's obviously mm. of great benefit to, to Tottenham. So, you know, I, I, they, they come in at, at an interesting time at a stage where we're kind of questioning how far can this Tottenham team go, at least this season, where, where where's their ceiling, and, and I think we'll learn a lot about them tomorrow. 
Man City versus Brentford is an interesting game for me, uh, purely because of this this graph that came out. Uh, what a nerdy point to make. It's interesting because of a graph, yeah. but uh, a visualization data-wise uh, from the Athletics' John Muller, uh, who controls territory, possession by zone in this Premier League season. So basically it's a color-coded football pitch split into squares. It's what, six by five uh, grid of squares. And it shows you sort of the inside left, inside right, middle left and right wings and the zones up the field with the box and so forth. And it's color-coded blue for if your opponent is controlling that area, the pitch um, has more touches than you and red if, you, if you've got uh, more touches in that area. And Manchester City, as you would expect, is just totally dominant. Yeah. Just red wall-to-wall. The only zones where their opponents have more touches than them are in their the opposition's own penalty area and also the far top corners um, of their uh, – so where the opposition get corners and um, I guess you, you don't generally seek to play into those areas when you're, you've got the ball actively into your own no, – uh, no. towards your own corner flag. So that, that's universal across the board. So Manchester City just sheer domination wall-to-wall territory-wise, uh, whereas Brentford, they've got their own box, the area just outside their own box – the far top corners, and then just one little splodge on the left wing near the halfway line. So they don't have the ball much. It's more what they do with it. No, I, and, you know, obviously this graph tells us perhaps a bit more in terms of how tomorrow is going to pan out. Probably the Man City tells us everything that we need to know, which is that I'm not expecting to see a lot of Brentford possession Um which is a shame when you consider the potential for someone like Christian Eriksen to feature. I'm not. I'm not sure where he's up to in his progress, but you know it'd be great to see to see that kind of thing happen. Yeah, look, we, we, we've spoken about Man City before and the fact that, um, from a neutral perspective, watching their games, they're perhaps not the most interesting or entertaining over the course of a 90 minutes on the basis that mm. the opposition doesn't get the ball, and I'm not particularly expecting Brentford to get the ball. When they get it, though, they're going to pump it forward as quickly as possible and Absolutely. hit the flanks. Yeah. And uh, they're not going to, I don't think they're even going to bother playing through the midfield against City. They're not going to want to give away the press. They, they're kind of a unique team in that they, they sort of bypass the midfield a lot of times if they need to. Yeah. And, and, and Thomas Frank's a really interesting manager. He does lots of interesting things. Um, and, you know, I, I think he'll. Bring a bring an interesting approach to it because he, that's what he tends to do. So yeah, as you say, the fact that the Brentford don't necessarily rely on their midfield to kind of transition the ball or, or, or control the game. Um, so so perhaps in that sense, Brentford are the ideal matchup in some ways. Mm. Oh, that's probably a bit optimistic. I don't I don't um, disagree because we saw what Brentford did to Liverpool earlier in the yeah. season and yes the bubble is almost well not quite burst but it's it's certainly uh, they're certainly not getting those results and then hitting the form that they did at the very start of the Premier League campaign but they showed what they can do to sort of bypass the counter press if you will if that makes any sense yeah. uh, because these, these good teams like City and Liverpool as soon as they lose the ball they will try and hem you in and City if they can't hem you in they will tactically foul you but if you've gotten rid of the ball already uh, maybe Fernandinho and Rodri, Rodri and Co won't be able to hack you down before you can start a counter attack. Yeah. If you if you spring together, you know spring spring forward as quickly as Brentford do. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting one. You'd still expect City to get the result, but then on Friday morning, Wolves versus Arsenal and Liverpool taking on under fire 
Leicester City. Do you think Brendan Rodgers' job is in jeopardy here with their, their form of late? I mean, they got thumped by Nottingham Forest. Their players are getting slammed for going out to nightclubs after they lose. Uh, they haven't played well at all this season. So many individual errors, so many goals conceded that shouldn't have been conceded. They've just been super underwhelming for me, like quite quite a mess compared to previous seasons where they've been contending for Champions League qualification. I, If I'm Leicester, I'm not considering sacking Brendan Rodgers. I think that's excessive. I think he's done so well. and I, I mean, think, it'd be a huge overreaction. But yeah, but they've done it before, haven't they, kind of thing. I, I mean, if if I look back on even Claudio Ranieri, I'm still I'm still shaken over that decision, frankly. So uh, the 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 balance between being a healthy, sustainable, popular club and kind of being ambitious enough that you're not satisfied with mediocrity is kind of obviously a really thin line that mm. Leicester have to to travel. I, I I don't I can't imagine Leicester are thinking about Brendan in that way because I think that he's done well for an for an extended period and this is kind of he, he has had rough patches before but a rough patch to this extent I think is this is kind of the first one so I, I I don't think it warrants any major considering of his job well playing against his uh, former club always generates a few headlines uh, but uh, maybe the maybe the Leicester lads just need to show a bit more character as uh, Brendan would say Tends to be the solution for near Brendan Rodgers. So, <laughs> Tends yeah. to be the catchphrase, anyway. So yeah, and, and but but we've seen Leicester beat Liverpool already, haven't we? This season, am I am I making that up? I'm not making that up, am I? Ooh, um, good good shout, but I'm, I'm I can't quite remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> as, as as we show our extensive research, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's also interesting to observe. From a, a Liverpool perspective, I'm not sure where Sadio Mane and, and Mohamed You're Salah. right, that's right. And just before uh, New Year's, 1-0, uh, Adamola Lookman scored the winner, so uh, on the 29th of December. So, and and that, that was also at a time when Brendan was under significant pressure, so he kind of, he finds a way to up his game against Liverpool in particular, so that, that, that could bode well for them. Of course, Liverpool, as I was just starting to talk about in terms of their personnel, we'll see who's up and about and who's still around. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the interaction between Salah and Mane after the AFCON drama. Yeah. The, they, 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 seem, they seem to have taken it in good enough spirit, don't they? They seem like mature enough individuals to... That's certainly the, what they're trying to project publicly, yeah. but I do think there's a bit of rivalry there between the two of them, and they, they haven't given each other an assist for quite some time. So <laughs> that was a good stat that came out. They've only assisted each other for like one or two goals this season, which, right. you know, for uh, the most prolific front three in the Premier League is, is not, not ideal. To be fair, they only played in AFCON for a very short period that was very recent in terms of if we're assessing their Premier League assist ratio as a whole this season. That feels quite misleading to look at. To yeah, true, true. I'll have to, have to double-check that stat. But, uh, yeah, there, there seems to be a, a burgeoning rivalry there of stemming back to the renewal of, of Mo Salah's contract initially yeah. because they were signed at the same time on the same money. But then Mo Salah scored all those goals in his first season and was immediately... Rushed to be extended. I think. Uh, I think Mane feels, feels a little slighted by that. Jurgen Klopp will sort him out. If I if I were to trust a manager in the league to sort out that kind of, if there were any, is this town big enough for the two of them? I guess we'll find out on Friday. Jurgen Klopp will make the town big enough. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. That's all from us tonight here on the EPL show. Thank you very much, Oscar, for your company, and we'll catch you again next week.